from a cultural perspective, it's not what you say or what you've written down on, on your values board. It's how you behave, how you treat them, how you respect them. That's what culture is really about. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's J.R. Flatter, and this is Building a Coaching Culture. As usual, I'm here with Lucas, my co-host. I'm down in Florida this week on a three-city road trip. Started in St. Louis, Kansas City, and now I'm in Fort Lauderdale. Our special guest, our distinguished guest, is our good friend, John Murphy, coming to us from County Clare, Ireland. Hi, everyone. Gave me the fault, Jeff which is 100,000 welcomes in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever you said. <laughs> <laughs> so just to remind everybody who we are and, and what we're doing, we're talking about building a coaching culture. So here we are in, well into the 21st century, attracting and retaining world-class talent in this hyper-competitive labor market. And John, is a, I'll let you introduce yourself because you could do it much better than I could. We're talking to leaders of complex organizations who are competing and succeeding in this environment. So I'll pass the floor to you, sir. You can introduce yourself. And- Hi, everyone. Like Daryl said, I'm John Murphy, based on the west coast of Ireland, along the, Atlantic, the wild Atlantic Way. I spent over 30 years working in corporate organizations, starting off in, in a small tech company, uh, and then actually moving into the uh, financial services sector uh, within. General Electric, at the capital. I worked on the aircraft leasing side, so it was a, a low-volume, high-ticket business. But I mean, I suppose the part that was applicable for both points actually is the importance of the people and and you know giving people the tools that they need to be able to go along and actually work. But like I say, I, I did many uh, roles actually up to um, eventually being a CTO or Chief Technology Officer within the company I was in. Moved into the HQ side, and then I actually started uh, running a end-user experience across 55,000 users, and eventually actually was running a small P&L in Europe, providing infrastructure services to eight or nine different sub-businesses, many of them actually in the banking sector. So a lot of regulations around it, a lot of complexity around different countries, different cultures, and the interaction that needed to happen. It was that idea of actually trying to provide productivity and efficiency while also ensuring that the people had time to work on the real value add from a business um, pronunciation perspective. But I suppose recently, actually, my, my role actually came to an end in 2018, actually, when GE decided to sell off GE Capital. Um, and I spent a lot of the, the last two or three years of my career going along and, and divesting, you know, just 35 different deals that took place in excess of $250 billion. So, I mean, it was, it was a large engagement that actually took place. But again, all of that, the reinforcing thing behind a lot of it actually is the importance of the people and how you treat the people and how you look after the people. Because it's it's that idea of, you know, from a cultural perspective, it's not what you say or what you've written down on, on your values board. It's how you behave, how you treat them, how you respect them. That's what culture is really about. It's what's happening when you're not looking at them. 
it's what's happening behind those, those closed doors, but they still behave the same. So that's a key one for me from a learning perspective, which I try to go along and again embrace and adopt as she as it comes into the coaching world. Yeah, what an incredible career. Well, as I say, the gray hairs are natural, JR. Well earned, right? One one at a time. Yeah, I've started coloring my hair. So. <laughs> yeah, you've had an incredible career and now you're a coach. Of all the leadership fads that have come across your desk in those decades, talk to us about what's different about coaching, why you're so passionate about it. So, yeah, um, I suppose from the early, like I started off in the 80s through the 90s, 2000s, I went through productivity, project management, Lean Six Sigma, continuous improvement, innovation. I mean, you name it, actually, they've all been there. But the whole driver behind all of them, actually, is the importance and the need for change and continuous change. And actually, in order to go along, actually, even to keep up, you actually have to be willing to change. If you, if you go stationary at any point, you end up actually falling behind. And I mean, a key part around change that I've always actually found, and even more so at the latter end, when it became more, I suppose, more near the bleeding end, was the importance of communication. And uh, communication actually has two parts to it. It's listening to what people are actually saying and then communicating in a message actually in a way that you're giving them a clear message and direction of where, like, where you're going, what their role is in making that way forward, or what's in it for them if they do it, and also what's in it if they don't do it. So, I mean, that's kind of setting the clear expectations. It's account- accountability. It's assigning ownership. But, like, it's also empowering people so that they can actually go along and be successful. And when it comes to the leadership side of that, it's that part of actually moving away from the micromanagement type mentality. Because no one actually has the time for that anymore. And that's the part actually where by going off and helping leaders become more leading by example and leading by you know, recognizing what do I need to do as a leader to help the people who work with me and for me succeed. Their success is part of my success as well. If they don't actually succeed, then I'm not going to necessarily succeed in what I need to do. So it's that partnership that needs to happen where leaders need to go along and actually stop looking at me and my and all of that and start looking at ours and what can I do to support our team in, in success. Yeah, and it sounds like you're kind of describing where you kind of empower the individuals and then maybe those Lean Six processes and, and those kind of like more bound like methodologies, maybe you don't need to follow them as strictly if you have like the individual building blocks. So can we we talk about that a little bit, like how the formal organization kind of interacts with like more empowered individuals in coaching? It's a great point you're making there, Lucas, because it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's that part of actually how do you go along and have governance in place by having, you know, set processes and procedures, but also having the flexibility and the adaptability to go along as you recognize you can't account for every situation. But there are times actually where I'm not saying you necessarily paint outside of the lines, but I mean, you paint maybe closer to them than you would normally want to. And what I mean by that is that when it comes to things like innovation and transformation, I think a big hurdle actually that a lot of people face is, well, how is it going to impact me? You know, and when you hear, when you hear words like productivity and efficiency, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's, well, is my job safe? And when it comes to a bas- when you look at the bigger picture, which is where sometimes actually is not, you know, you need to actually stand back as a, as a person or as a leader or as a manager, look at that, actually say, well, 
if I start looking at the inefficiencies that are in the process at the moment, if we were to go along and actually get rid of those, imagine what the time saved could be used elsewhere to add value to the company. So is that part of actually, instead of, you know, again, looking at how is it going to impact me and, and you know, will, my, will my job be safe? Is look at, by doing this, what are the opportunities that will actually come up or crop up as part of this? You know, will it make my job easier to do, actually, and allow me to go along and, and focus on the things? You know, it's back to that idea again. If I'm doing this, what am I not doing? And is what I'm not doing actually more important than the stuff that's on my plate at the moment? It's very easy to fall into that kind of safe bucket of, actually, I love working on this, so I'll prioritize that, and I'll actually move the other stuff down, 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 down the, to the bottom of the list. But it's also our part, actually, if, if the things at the bottom of the list are a higher priority from a business deliverable, then you have to go along, actually, and look at putting that up on the list. And prioritization is always a big challenge. Time management is a key challenge. But, like, it's also, for some people, especially on the leadership side, is recognizing that by having these policies and procedures in place, you're safeguarding the people that are actually doing these things. But you also need to allow for that kind of scenario where it's not going to fit every situation. So what are the rules of engagement for going outside of those lines? What needs to actually happen so you're not letting people on a road where they could actually fail because of steps or rules that weren't, weren't actually applied? But how do you give them the flexibility to go along and make the necessary changes, which are for the better of the company, but doing it in a compliant way. It takes you years to build your reputation. You can actually lose it overnight or in a matter of minutes, actually, depending on what, what the activity is. You talked about change and people. I'm working with a hospitality company here in America. And one of the phrases from yesterday was, this leadership thing would be easy if it wasn't for the people. You talk about people and 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 change and oftentimes people get their lives disrupted by that change when i was in australia a couple weeks ago there was this massive layoff of this gigantic company suddenly thousands and thousands of very qualified capable hard-working people were out of a job and i'm sure that happened in your transformation how do you as a leader take care of people in those situations Great point there. And, and I, again, I, on this one, I can I can speak from experience because my role actually in GE Capital did come to an end. I was told I was no longer required. GE had been I sold off GE Capital, so maybe a slightly different story. But an awful lot of it actually is back to that idea of well, getting across to your, your client or to your customer. Actually, you know, this is not an ideal situation. It's not necessarily the future you'd have actually picked yourself at this point in time. But what opportunities does this allow you now that may have been on the back burner in your mind for the last weeks, months, years, especially from the time you've actually heard about the, the upcoming layoffs? What sort of things are now possible that you're, I suppose, the obstacle that was there before? I mean, it's your full-time job, so it's maybe a little bit more than that. But it, it is that part where people kind of fall into a nice, comfortable job that they're actually working on i'm working whatever it is 40 50 hours a week getting paid on a regular basis enjoy what i'm doing most of the time but like you know there's also that part of where you know trying to work out actually what i wanted to be when i was in my 20s is a lot different than what i wanted to be in my 30s 40s 50s actually as i got older and i mean an awful lot of that is also reflective on what my circumstances were at the time and i mean like a program that you're actually doing around leadership actually is like is that work family self-balance 
And I mean, the way you actually phrase it, I think, which is excellent, like is, is work is the W, family is the F, and, and self is the S. Those letters change in size depending where you are. But like at the start, when you're starting up your career, an awful lot of your focus actually is on the work side and making sure that I can actually build my career. As you get older, your priorities change, especially when like family comes into play. All of a sudden, actually, it's how can I spend more time with my wife or my partner? How can I spend more time with my with my kids? And then, you know, there's also that part where you get to a point where you've stopped trying to go along and prove yourself to others, and you get comfortable enough in your own skin to say, I'm good enough. That's a huge turning or tipping point, because all of a sudden, actually, you've stopped paying, paying attention to what's going on all around you, and you start focusing on what's important to me. And I would have said to you, for anyone actually that's going through any of these changes, the earlier that happens to you, better. Because, you know, it, time goes by very, very quickly. I spent 30 years in General Electric. It feels like, you know, a week, and it feels like an eternity, depending on what was actually happening at the time. But, you know, it's how can you, as a leader, start making time for each person, by the way, because this is also part of the challenge. No two people are the same. So how you react to that type of news versus how I react could be chalk and cheese. I mean, sometimes people need to go along and actually kind of sit back and work it out in their heads as to um, what exactly does this mean? It's a bit like, you know, when you lose someone, when someone actually passes away, it's the, it's the grieving process and all the different steps that need to actually happen as part of that. This, being told you're no longer required, being told your job is no longer valued in the company or that you're no longer valued in the company can be earth shattering. But you know what? There's also that part of me, and, and maybe it's, this may be uh, innocence on my part, but I always feel actually what's meant for you won't pass you by. And in those circumstances, it's actually, this again is an adage, actually, like, it's not important actually how often you fall. It's important actually how often you get up and actually take the next step. And by the way, it only takes one step to take the next pathway down. So it's the importance of dealing with the shock, because it will be that. It's important of actually then kind of sitting down with the person to go along and actually work out what's important for them. Where are they in their stage of life? What are their priorities? And how can you as a leader help them get to that next step? So like, it's, it's, your job doesn't stop actually when you're told them they're no longer required. If you're actually being a proper leader, you actually should be there going out and trying to focus and ensure that every person you're working with ends up landing somewhere else, ideally, and ideally in something that they really want to do. Because that was the part actually, again, we were told, like, you know, I had something like 200 people working for me at the time when we were actually told that GE Capital was being sold off. They were all part of the HQ staff, but there was never going to be a role for them. And I remember actually saying to my boss, I said, listen, if I start this, I'd like to, be, I'd like to finish it. So I, I said, I don't want to be one of the first people to let go so I could find jobs somewhere else. I wanted to go along actually and see the way through. It meant keeping the lights on, but it also meant actually working with each and every person to work out what was best for them. And no offense to the HR team, actually, I mean, their focus actually was, how do we go along and actually make this as seamless, as painless as possible? But, I mean, they had the big GE Capital hat on them at the time, right? So that was their focus. Me, actually, I saw each of these people as people. It wasn't your nine-digit number. It was JR, it was Lucas, it was Tom, it was Mary, it was Anne. I mean, all of these people, actually, how can we help them transition to the next opportunity and actually get them to kind of focus on the cup is half full rather than half empty? Didn't work with everyone, I'll be honest with you. There were some people actually that, like, I mean, they, they went into, dare I say, actually, someone went into dark places, but I mean, thankfully, they all got through it. And I mean, now, if you look at it in hindsight, 
I'd have said to you that probably 90% of them said it was the best thing that ever happened to them. Not at the time, but looking back at it in hindsight, because it made them rethink what their life was about, where they are, what was actually in front of them. And I mean, again, it's it's nice to be able to look back, like, you know, one, two years on, actually, and say, yeah, I'm glad it happened. It didn't feel that way for the first one, two or three weeks, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> you know, maybe that's when the grey hair started kicking in the first place, JR. I don't know, sir. I don't know. It's ironic because I have the Kubler-Ross grief cycle open in front of me. Whenever I think about change, I think about the grief cycle. And you've described this denial, anger, bargaining, depression, oftentimes, and then finally acceptance. So when we're asking people to change, we're actually asking them to go through that grieving process. And so it's very natural as a human being to resist that. As part of that as well, the ones actually that kind of seem to take it in their stride, there's always that kind of maybe light bulb moment in the back or that kind of red light in the back in my head, actually, is it, are they nearly being too accepting of it? And that's like, are they actually really dealing with what's in front of them? Or are they kind of just kind of parking it to one side? Because parking it doesn't solve the problem. And I mean, sometimes actually that can come along and actually raise its head in future activities that actually happen to them. Like if something actually really bad happens to you when you're young, Sometimes actually that can be triggered at different points through your life for whatever reason. And it kind of puts you back, you, you nearly relapse back to where you were, where you actually didn't wait to deal with the problem. So it's great when people can come along and actually cope with it. But it's also worth asking the question on a regular basis, is everything okay? And I'm not asking about your job and I'm not asking about your family. Is everything okay with you? It is an important question to be asking on a regular basis. And by the way, it doesn't actually have to come from a coach. It doesn't have to come from a leader. It comes from anyone actually in your in your network. Like that idea of, especially when you know someone is actually going through tough times, you're not trying to be nosy or find out what's going on, but in, you know, it's all okay. If you ever need to chat, whatever. You know, the, those are things actually where it makes you a better person and it's probably something you can relate to a lot more when you've been through that stress or when you've been through that grief. Go along and you know that, you know, there's someone who's noticing that I exist, and they're also actually taking enough time to go along and actually ask me, am I okay? You had mentioned um, earlier that kind of mindset shift where it's I'm valuable, it's not just I'm doing good work, or, you know, it's it's me as an individual that's, you know, valuable in this company, and I'll be valuable in my next role. And you think about all the work and planning and you know, thought that goes into compensating talent and trying to retain talent with dollars when pretty much the goal is to have that person feel valuable. Is there a way that companies can think about making people feel that way and creating that culture where it's a return on investment? You're seeing, you know, you're spending less money on that compensation potentially, or what do you think about that? Great question, Lucas. It is actually, how do you show each individual that they're being valued and respected? Because, I mean, for some people, actually, whether it's bonus or extra cash or whatever, can make a big difference, depending on, and again, where they're actually in their life cycle. But for an awful lot of people, something as simple as a thank you is very important, especially if it's coming from your manager or your manager's manager, even more so. But sometimes, actually, rather than just saying thank you, it's explained to what they did and what was actually picked up as part of it. But like, this is what I saw you do. 
And this is actually the benefit that we're seeing from it. So that, I mean, sometimes um, something I might take for granted in doing it could actually have a higher impact with my manager or my manager's manager than, you know, putting out the fires. That's a one actually where I saw you do this. It resulted in this. And guess what? This is the benefit that we actually, or the value we actually see from it. Because what that's also doing actually is telling me this is the sort of behavior that they're actually noticing. This is the sort of thing actually that I did and I didn't necessarily appreciate actually what I was actually doing at the time. So I was kind of recognizing why is huge. You did this. Well, the flip side of that, I should say, is also the case like that. When you see a behavior that's not appropriate or whatever, or, that, or someone actually making a mistake, it's doing that real time as soon as the opportunity allows. So rather than trying to throw someone under the bus in front of a group, it's kind of taking him or her to one side and actually explaining, listen, I saw you actually do this. I'm not exactly sure. I don't have the background to it. But unless the fact, you know, we didn't necessarily get the results that we wanted or something actually happened that we hadn't allowed for. So if you were to do it again, what would you consider doing differently? You know, so it's, that's, it's rewarding the good behaviors and explaining the why and also coming along actually pick up on the bad ones because, again, <laughs> I've used this line with, with JR once or twice actually with regard to, you know, I'm talking about new business and stuff like that. I often go into people actually and say, you know, I put down problem solver as my signature and I ask people, what problems do you have? Well, sure, listen, everything is great here. I mean, you know, we're making loads of money and people are all happy and well, it's happy days. Like, you know, I don't know why you're here at all. And then I actually said, well, listen, you might be asking, I said, what are you looking to stop tolerating that you've tolerated up to now? That's the one actually where and you can see the, the light bulb come on because I guarantee you, every person has that one thing that they're pushing under. I, I, I get to it next week or I get to it next month or I prefer not to. And I mean, those are the sort of ones actually where if that is not dealt with in a timely manner, all of a sudden, those around that person or that lack of action come along and she's wondering, well, is, is that the type of behavior acceptable? Is that the sort of thing actually that you know, I can actually do without coming along and, and you know, I make a mistake, but no one's going to notice it, so I won't bother. I continue making mistakes, so I don't have to worry about that. But it is, it's back to communication again. It's telling people, I saw this. This is what I liked about it. Please keep doing it. Or this actually actually happened. I'm not necessarily sure I, need, I have all the background to it, but would, would you mind me explaining to me what actually happened? And more importantly, what could you do differently the next time to allow us to do it? I mean, it's, it's like coaching. I mean, for, for some people, actually, a manager actually decided to issue you with a coach. First thing that goes on in my head is, what did I do wrong? You know, do I need to go along and see? This is I've been penalized actually for something, so I need to actually find a coach to do it. What you need to be getting across to him is, listen, Lucas, we actually see you as a valuable resource in the company. In order to help you develop, we're going to assign you a coach. We're going to spend money on actually helping you develop. Right? These are as part of that. Actually, identify the things that you do well and keep doing them. And actually, if I say, how can you go along actually and apply those principles to others around you where you actually see that they could actually develop from that type of thing? But I mean, likewise, actually, there's, there's always something that's, I hate using the word personal development. It's considered changing is a better way to do it. So rather than actually keep doing this, you can't continue doing the same thing and expect a different outcome. So what can you change that would allow you to go along and be a better person, be a better manager, be a better leader than you are now? Because, you know, like I said, I'm fortunate enough to say I'm good enough as I am, but that doesn't mean I can't improve. But like, you know, recognizing that, you know, every person that you're working with, you're doing a great job. We actually really appreciate what you're doing. Is there stuff you'd like to do? Is there something actually that we don't know of 
from a capability perspective that you want to go along and either look at improving or bring to the table that we haven't used up to now. Because it's the part, and I'm sorry for the long-winded answer, but it is that part of actually you have to ask the question of what's working, what could we do differently? And if you once you ask the question, you have to do something with it. So like, is that part of, you know, well, these things are actually great ideas. We're going to go along and actually develop them further. And maybe, Lucas, you could be part of the team that actually work on that, or you might even take over ownership of those. But it's also important actually to say, well, listen, these are great ideas. But unfortunately, they don't align with the priorities we have now. So we may need to part them until we do have bandwidth to go along and she take those on. But communication is huge. Little thank yous. I mean, <laughs> I'll give you a beautiful one, actually, for us. 250 people, 300 people actually in the building. And during the summer, the social committee had organized for an ice cream van to pull up outside the building. 30, 40, 50 year olds going out and actually licking ice cream. It was the best half hour of socializing and energizing that I've actually seen in a long time. Small dollars, but it actually had, had a huge goodwill thing on it. Having a pizza luncheon where people come in and sit down and talk. You know, the first side chats actually are great to go along and actually start a conversation going. But once you get people in the room, don't talk at them. Let them interact. Let them come along and actually be part of what's going on. Explain to them what we're trying to get to. And guess what? I don't have all the answers. The leadership team doesn't have all the answers. But with your help, we hope to get there. Now, how can you help? What I indirectly hear you describing is so that we have formal coaching relationships. So external coaches like Lucas, you and I, coaching, but also building internal coaches. And then the third is, and this is all contributory to building a coaching culture, is a coaching style of leadership. And that's what I hear you describing is that curious, exploratory style of leadership. Did that come natural to you? Or I was perfect. I was perfect from the start, JR. It was, it was never a problem for me. Listen, I come from a technology background and I like, you know, problem solving. If you tell me you have a problem, I'll actually go off and, and turn over the, the, the every mound or every rock to go along and actually come up with an answer for it. But my father, Robbie Orson, actually had a great saying. He said, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it is that part, actually, of the importance of listening, of kind of asking the questions, let people come along and actually kind of where do you need to get to. I mean, you can put out the, you can put out the feelers there to go along, actually, and, and, and understand what's important. But humility is a huge part of when a leader stops, takes the focus from them and puts it on everyone else. And I mean, when you can go along actually and get people to explain, like someone like yourself, if you actually took into a room and explain to people actually how you become the successful person that you are, that actually would come along and actually show people that success can be measured in different ways. For an awful lot of people, actually, it comes down to, to the, the bottom line. In order to go along actually and make money, you've got to go along and actually have a business that recognizes all of the assets that are there that actually make it a success. And one of those assets actually is people. And it, it's the part actually of helping people to obtain that mindset. Lucas mentioned earlier on, what can I do to make this company successful? But what can I help others do to make them successful as well? It's coming along actually and realizing that I have my role to do and everything like that is within my control. But there are other people actually that have a dependency on me and what I actually do. And is I need to be going along, like instead of just keeping my head down and actually and thinking about me, I need to be looking at the bigger picture and where I can contribute 
elsewhere to actually be successful. But like also, it's where can I see opportunities elsewhere for them to go along and actually do something differently as well. And it's kind of being, it's allowing the the openness to go along and actually have those conversations where like if someone says to you, John, I saw you actually do something yesterday, actually, had you considered actually doing it a different way? Instead of me going on the defensive to go along actually and say, well, how dare you come along and actually tell me how to do my job? It's coming along actually and saying, I hadn't thought of it that way. You know, it, 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 no, it doesn't mean, I remember my manager actually or my boss coming along telling me, and this is what, again, I got into a senior role at the time. He says, John, he says, I'll always listen to what you have to say. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to, you know, action it. But I mean, allowing people to go along actually and voice their opinion, to share it, is important. And it's even more so actually as you move up the ranks. Because, I mean, part of your thing is it's not just because of the job you do. It's actually how you can influence people around you. So actually, when you go into those meetings where, like, you kind of feel it's possibly a bit of an imposter syndrome, and I'm afraid to go along and say anything in case I show myself up. Well, do you know what? Chances are, if it's actually not clear in your head, I'm guaranteed there's others in the people in the same room that are actually having the same problem. But it's okay to put up your hand and ask that what seems like a silly question without assuming that you're going to get devalued because of it. So, like, there's vulnerability required. There's the requirement to share feedback, both positive and negative. And by the way, the other part actually, which is critical, is that if someone actually does raise some sort of a compliance issue that it's treated with respect respectfully, but under no circumstances actually can it be can it negatively impact the person who raised the question, even actually if it was if it was turns out actually not to be the case. You can come along actually and tell people that we want you to go along actually and, and give us good feedback and bad feedback. But if someone gives you the feedback you don't want, that you'll then actually punish them first. That will again is where the actions and the words are contradictory to each other. Yeah, you kind of mentioned um, those opportunities where you have like, you know, your ice cream party, your pizza gathering, and it it almost seems like you know this these relationships are building through like you know happenstance, but somebody's behind the scenes like kind of pre planning that, that that stuff. It makes me think about um, my three year old was just on his Nintendo and randomly it starts playing like a trailer for a new product and i'm like what like he's he's three years old and they're like marketing directly to him and like by accident and it's like he's having fun and he thinks it's a toy but i'm like whoa so how do you create those kind of happy accidents where it seems like fun but it's deliberate yeah actually it's funny when when you mentioned that about your son actually all of a sudden actually influencer was actually popping into my head. I mean, this is a guy in the future here, actually. Because <laughs> no, I'm not sure, actually, whether the, whether the advertisers were coming in or whether he happened to be turning them on when you were, actually, within your shot. I, I'm going to give him the benefits of the doubt, actually, that he knew I was there. The company I worked with, right, like I said, it was a large financial services company, heavily regulated. We provided a white glove service. It was very business-focused. It was very process-driven. It was all of the, the, that type of stuff there. But you have to try and get the... I'm going to balance, actually, I was told, I was told recently actually, that balance is the wrong word to use because balance actually means that one is conflicting with the other. And I think that it's work-life blend, I think, is, is what people are saying these days because it is actually how do you how do you go along and actually get the mix right. Having a social, you know, like a social committee or a, a group actually that are focusing on, I suppose, enhancing networking 
outside of the boardroom or outside of the meeting rooms, like focusing on allowing people to see the other side of the individual that they're working with. So it's not always the person in the office that's doing the PowerPoint presentations or doing the present the, the, the pitches or doing all of the hard work. You have family. Going about your kids is huge because all of a sudden, actually, I get to know you better and actually doing that. What are your interests? What do we have in common? You know, I mean, I, I, I try to play golf. I use it as an excuse to go along and actually get some exercise and a bit of fresh air. But it also actually gives me unbridled access to three other players where we can talk about anything, right? And I have to say some of the most constructive business meetings I've actually had, especially when it comes to vendor management, have happened on a golf course. Because you're taking someone out of the constraints of, I have to wear my professional, or be professional actually within the space here, to where they start being authentic and being themselves. Because if you can actually get that or build that into a relationship, and, and uh, the relationship part actually is a huge part of it, that actually will go a long way towards being able to get people to prioritize the, the work things that need to actually happen while dealing with the family and self as part of that scenario as well. I do a thing actually around emotional intelligence, and, and it's down to that idea of how you show up impacts how people feel. How they feel impacts how they engage, and how they engage actually impacts the whole relationship. If I can actually show up to you at a meeting on Monday and actually say, how's your son doing? Or he was actually playing, playing football at the weekend. How did the match go? All of a sudden, actually, both of us are starting off on a level playing field because I'm taking the time to go and actually check on your, on your family. But I mean, likewise, you know that I heard what you told me last Friday. And I rem remember this morning to go along and she asked you the question. So it's those types of relationship building that you can have on the social activity side. Now, the worst thing that can possibly happen to that, you mentioned you know, processes and procedures, it can turn into a bureaucratic process where you're actually doing it from a box-taking exercise, right? If you're actually having the pizza day or something like that, have it for a reason. Have it to either celebrate something that happened, which, by the way, that doesn't happen often enough. An awful lot of the businesses actually are so busy these days that no sooner they finish something, even when it's successful, they move on to the next thing. Taking the time to go along and celebrate wins is huge. Also, by the way, taking time to go along actually and, and maybe review or evaluate actually where things went wrong can be a huge learning opportunity. And I mean, again, those are sort of the ones that sometimes they can happen more openly over a cup of coffee sitting at the, at the you know, in, in the restaurant or sitting actually in the, in the coffee house than it happens in, in your manager's meeting room or whatever. So focus people actually on looking for opportunities where they can actually socialize within the environment or actually externally, but make it meaningful for what they're doing. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use one, one example here personally myself. My daughter actually was born 12 weeks premature. She was two pounds, two ounces, thousand grams. And um, she was in hospital for, for 17 weeks in, in the neonatal unit in, in Limerick. And one of the things, actually, I always said was, I'd love to go along and actually do a fundraiser for her. It happened, actually, there was two other girls in the company that came along, and um, they're actually on the social committee. And we came along and actually started looking at things, and there was a 10K walk run happening in, in the local university as a fundraiser for the local organizations. And we came along, actually, and we said, wouldn't it be great if we could come along and maybe get 10, 20 people to take part in this and maybe raise 5,000 euros. So this, we'd have a go at it anyway. We ended up actually where between members of the company and family friends, we had over 90 people took place in the, in the run. We raised 35,000 euros. And we had a barbecue that was probably one of the best events we actually had in the 20 years I was in the company. 
And that was actually all from a small idea. It, I, I, by the way, I didn't instigate it, by the way. Someone else actually mentioned it to me. I just was willing to go along, actually, and do something about it because it meant something to me. So where you can actually find opportunities where people have skin in the game, it means something to them. That's the part, actually, where the sky's the limit. You have no idea, actually, what you can get out of these things until you try. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.